Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 231. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off to wrap up our baseball month. This will shock no one to learn that I had never seen this movie prior to reviewing it for Monoreal Radio. I had never even heard of it until we searched baseball on Disney+. Plus. See, I have a hobby and a habit that I've made. It's the thing that I've said a thousand times that I love the most about Disney+. Plus. I want to get lost sometimes in Disney+, and find absurd movies or really like off-the-wall decoms occasionally. And I'll just flick through tiles, and there was always something about Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. There's Eddie in his baseball uniform holding the oversized spatula. It reeks of like late 90s, early 2000s. It reeks of decom, and I am here for it. What I also really love about that tile is that he's projecting out of the Mickey ears behind him, and that was such a big thing for people who grew up on the Disney Channel was all of their favorite kids celebrities doing the Mickey ears with their wand and then they would have the graphic come up. So I like that they incorporated that just right out of the shoot into the graphic for this film. Yes. Well, where does this film rank amongst the baseball movies that we have discussed this month? Where does it rank amongst the other DCOMs that we have discussed on Monoreal Radio? That on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The design range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. Eddie Ogden is a baseball prodigy and the star of his team, The Groundhogs. As they dine on Eddie Dogs, Eddie, DB, and Frankie decide that their goal for the year is to beat the Eagles, while Eddie's father, who is also his coach, wants Eddie to think about a future in baseball. After a kitchen accident sends Eddie's mom to get stitches, Eddie decides to cook dinner for the family, and to their surprise, he is very good at it. So Eddie secretly starts to consider a culinary future rather than a baseball future. When registering for electives at school, Eddie signs himself and his friends up for home economics rather than computer science, but they swear to keep it a secret, especially from Eddie's father. Eddie decides to join the Million Dollar Cook-Off to try and win a culinary scholarship. However, this begins to distract him from baseball, especially as he tries harder and harder to keep everything in check and his father sees how distracted he is. Eddie's mother finds out what he is up to, but encourages him to try his hand in the culinary arts. Eddie gets selected as a finalist in the Million Dollar Cook-Off, but DB does not support Eddie until Eddie plays it off as a joke. When Eddie gets home, his father scolds him for sneaking around and lying. Eddie struggles with being uh, laughed at at school for his home ec success, as well as lacking the finesse to compete in the cook-off. DB also sees that Eddie wasn't joking about the competition and again stops supporting him. When Eddie shows up late for a game due to being stuck in home ec, his father benches him to make an example out of him. It also turns out that the Groundhog's final game against the Eagles is... When do you think it is? 
do you think it's the same day as the cook-off? Because you would be completely correct. Shocking. Eddie chooses baseball after being sick of being made fun of at school, but his teacher, Mrs. Hadley, goes to his home and tries to convince him to compete at the cook-off. At the game, it becomes clear that Eddie's heart isn't in it, so he leaves to go to the cook-off where he only has an hour left to complete his signature dish. As Eddie rallies off the field, the groundhogs rally on the field. His father intentionally gets tossed from the game in order to go to the cook-off to help Eddie. The groundhogs win their game, but Eddie loses the competition to Bridget, his overbearing classmate. Eddie's victory comes from knowing that he gave it his all and that his teammates were pushed to be successful without him um before we get into the actual review i want to talk about the timeline a little bit here because my biggest question was bobby flay how and why um I feel like if this were, you know, a theatrical release, a cameo from Bobby Flay would not be such a big deal. But for a DCOM, I was really surprised. Um, So this came out 2003. And at this point, I just want to give a little context. Really, Bobby Flay and Rachel Ray were the two biggest names in cooking. Food Network is not anywhere close to what it is today. Yeah. Guy Fieri had not won uh, the next Food Network star yet. Triple D was not even a thing. So Super niche, right? Exactly. It wasn't like you had these big personalities or even celebrities coming out of the cooking world yet. It was really Bobby, Rachel. I think Lydia Bastianich was on PBS. Um And it it just wasn't what it is now. So I was really surprised to see him in this film. And I was wondering if it was because he was looking to transition his career into acting, maybe, or if they just wanted a big name in the DCOM. And I couldn't really find any of that information. But this was Bobby Flay's um, debut as playing himself in something other than one of his own shows. Yeah, this is 2003, but the way they shoot the film, it feels like 1993. <laughs> exactly. I think, and you can hear it in Bobby Flay's, uh, in his inflection, in his pronunciation of certain words. Bobby Flay does not hide the fact that he is a New Yorker, but take it from somebody that was also a New Yorker, that was on major market commercial radio, and to this day, they beat, as they should, mind you, they beat that horrendous accent out of you. Bobby Flay is very polished now, and it's not that he wasn't good in 2003, but uh, Eddie, uh, the the cook-off, you missed an hour, we can't give you any more time. Like, he doesn't sound like that anymore. He would have a more polished delivery. So you can tell that this is very early in his career. And I think that because, to your point, it was him and Rachel Ray and Giada De Laurentiis, the frugal gourmet, I don't even think he was alive in 2003. No, no. So like, there just wasn't a lot out there. And he was, at the time, and still is, a large name in culinary television. Oh, so, for sure. I mean, it would make sense that, like, now now it's not a surprise because they have him hosting things on the Food Network all of the time. But him, Gordon Ramsay, Jada De Laurentiis, like, all of these people, it's not so 
it's not so common for 2003, but it's very common now. It's really not a surprise, though, that he was able to build his brand so big or take on a role like this because we did get to go to a taping of Beat Bobby Play and he was so charismatic even when the cameras were off. I I dare say he had more charisma when they were not filming him and just interacting with the audience than comes across when he's hosting something. The funny thing about him when we went to that taping of Beat Bobby Flay um, his back was turned to the clock and he didn't want to like look back yes. to see how much time he had. We happened to be sitting just by happenstance in the front row right next to him. And from where he was, all he had to do was look up at us. And he kept looking at me going, how much time do I have? How much time do I have? And I would have to tell him, yeah, they, there should be a PA there for this. I had to keep <laughs> telling Bobby Flay how much more time he had to complete his dish. I had forgotten all about that. He was very nice, though. He was. No, he was super cool to everyone in the audience. Um, all right. Let's start talking about the movie, though. Hey, look, guess what? Nobody knows how to play baseball again. Yeah, and this is quite the operation for a team that doesn't even know how to tie their shoes. You've got a full concession stand. The stadium is real. I'm calling it a stadium, but this is supposed to be a high school team or a junior high team. He's junior high. He's junior high. Which I think is important to establish because that is one of my major issues with this <laughs> with this movie, among many things. Um. It's it's such a trope. It has to stop. It just has to stop. Like, I don't know why you keep having these films. And I understand it's comedy, but I'm, I'm saying this for the final time. There gets to a certain point in time where if you don't know how to play the game, you're not playing the game. Right. You're just not. You are not playing on your junior high school team. And I don't want to hear, oh, but the team stinks. Well, there's no way, there's no chance that you don't have 25 kids in that school that actually know how to play the game. And it's it's a high school team, but it's co-ed. They don't have a separate boys and girls team. Right. So I I kept that. I I thought it was an intramural team. Yeah, I did too. The whole time. So again, they don't establish that up front that it is for the school. But... um, To your point, I mean, I think that they did this largely to get some physical physical comedy up front. You know, obviously, you've got the two that don't call the pop fly and they're going to crash into each other. The one girl didn't tie her shoes. She's tripping all over herself. And you could write that off of they're just doing this, you know, for laughs. However, they are eventually I will give the film credit. They are going to bring it back around because. You, you made a point of saying that dad and coach are the same person. All he cares about is his son. He's not actually coaching this team. So this is going to play into his, not only his character, but also these kids taking charge of, of their own game towards the end of this film. Let's get this out of the way because it starts in this first scene. The line from his father of, You throw like a girl. Oh, my God. Here's my thing. The line of you throw like a girl, you've seen it in a hundred baseball movies. Frankly, in the early 90s, the guys used to rib each other 
and say you throw like a girl. Now, is it a joke that is outdated in, at the time of this recording, 2023? It is, I don't find that offensive personally. What And if you may have a different stance on this, and you would have the right to. Where I get uncomfortable with this, though, is that he keeps saying it with girls on the team. Yes. But where this film redeems itself, I mean, the whole idea is that, or, or the whole theme of this movie is that they are trying to break down gender stereotypes. And I immediately rolled my eyes when I heard the line, not just because... It's so old and it is insulting, but it was more about the dad being such a one note character. And again, they managed to bring it back around at the end of the film because the girl who can't tie her shoes, whose name completely escapes me. I think we hear it once and I honestly don't remember it. Um, But they bothered to give her a slight character arc because she calls the coach on it. Right. And she said, why is it that it's a something to the effect of why is it that throwing like a girl is an insult? But if we run like a guy, it's a compliment. So as much as it made me cringe in the beginning, it did redeem itself for me at the end. And I think the moments where this film is self-aware help it from coming off as completely offensive. Where this film really loses me more than anything else is actually Eddie's storyline, which is problematic because he is the main character. Uh, but after the game, he makes these Eddie dogs that everyone, everyone being his two closest friends, not the entire team, absolutely loves. And to me, putting condiments on these hot dogs is not enough of a jumping off point to show that he has an interest in cooking. And all he does is just throw everything on it. Yeah, this was entirely for the sight gag. Yeah, like he just grabs every condiment that he can possibly find and he puts them on these hot dogs. And I have news for you. 12 and 13 year old kids don't like horseradish and they don't <laughs> want horseradish on a hot dog. But you're right. It's just the sight gag of him like squirting ketchup and mustard everywhere, making the biggest mess he can. And the guy's just smushing hot dogs into their face. Here's my thing. At the end of the day, where things like this, things like you throw like a girl, the you throw like a girl, like I said, it's it's uncomfortable because there were girls on the team. And, like, when I played Little League, yeah, like, if, if you really didn't throw well or if you weren't trying, because you had a lot of kids that were there to pick dandelions in the outfield, there were, got, there were times where... Someone would say you throw throw the ball like a girl. But there were times where we had girls on our team, and at least the parents were, like, aware not to say it to offend the girls, right? Yeah, but the bigger issue is that it's still getting said when there's not girls around. So I like that it gets called out in this movie. I mean, I'm also the talking the difference of 1990 and 2003. But but my my bigger point being that... Ten-year-old boys are the target demographic for this. So things like you play like a girl and he gets called out on it later and making the biggest hot dog mess possible, it's just because they're trying to cater to ten-year-old boys 20 years ago. I'm glad you bring this up, though, because I was going to make a point of talking about it later, but now's as good a time as any. Um, 
we have run into this with so many DCOMs. And I think that this has been one of our biggest issues with the ones that we don't like is that they're coming out in the 2000s, but they are still leaning into these 90s tropes. And one of the biggest ones, and, and it's not even just a 90s trope, it's very specific. It is a 90s Nickelodeon thing. These big messes. When you think about, I mean, obviously Nickelodeon slime, but shows like all that when Keenan did the Randy and Mandy with the chocolate everywhere. Yep. I mean, they just love making giant mess. Like anytime a kid had a blender in the 90s, you knew the lid was not going on. Right. It just wasn't. And there was going to be a huge mess all over the place. So Eddie making these hot dogs was probably the cleanest thing that they did in this film because it's just going to get worse and worse as as it goes on. And it's it's a film based around food. So you get no less than two or three food fights. Right. To the point where even the home ec teacher says, I don't want boys in my class anymore because apparently the boys are the ones that cause all the trouble even though there's two boys, three boys in a class with mostly girls. But again, it is about breaking the gender yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. So in order to set that up, getting there, the dialogue is very handed. Much right. like once they get home, um, Eddie and two of his friends from the basement, again, not the whole team, is celebrating. DB and Frankie. DB and Frankie are back at the house and uh, they're going to have dinner with the Ogdens. Um, so we meet Eddie's doofy older brothers again. 90s trope um and we get a little sidebar conversation with dad and eddie where dad talks to eddie about maybe not staying with the groundhogs in favor of getting him on a better team and i feel like this conversation gets lost in the chaos of db and frankie running around they're wrestling with the brothers for control of the tv and i feel like it would have been a better dinner conversation to really focus in on the fact that dad is so biased towards his son he does not even care about the team that he is coaching and actually fostering these kids and he just wants to see Eddie shine which he's already doing because we've seen it at the game where you know the team is not playing well and it's like all right Eddie's coming up to bat. Just smash one out there and and we're going to be fine. He only cares about his son. So you do need yeah, to... Yeah, that's called being a Little League coach. They're all the same. Oh, yeah. No, it's the equivalent of being a stage mom. The, yeah. da- the dads wanted their son to be the shining star on the team. So that was to be expected, but they're really leaning into it now where he's like, screw the groundhogs. I'll get you on a better team. And And makes no mention of if he's going to remain their coach or he's going to ride Eddie's coattails, so to speak, in his baseball career. See, I don't find any of that problematic or even offensive. It's so not uncommon that the best players on their teams, they step up to join a higher competitive level, whether it be travel ball, whether it be a varsity team. This is so not uncommon. 
Oh, no, I don't find it problematic, but I'm saying for the film, the conversation gets buried. And I think that you really needed to highlight this as far as Eddie's relationship with his dad. Well, they did it just to rush into mom slices her hand on a knife so that Eddie and his friends can prepare a dinner where none of the flavors work at all. But it's still a fairly good enough scene. My my problem with it is, like, Eddie can't put a lid on a blender 10 minutes later, yet he knew how to mash potatoes and fried chicken and make, like, a fruit-based glaze out of all of it. This is where the film really started to lose me, because it's not just Eddie. DB and Frankie don't have any cooking experience either, but they can identify cardamom and caraway without labels when asked for it. So I think that... And again, they're playing it for comedy that Eddie makes this tower of fried chicken covered in Fruit Loops and like arranges the plating so that it's like a volcano with the mashed potatoes. And I think that they're trying to show that he's being creative and he took a bunch of things that shouldn't work and made them delicious. But like that's not reading because the family is not complimenting him. They go immediately to insulting him and calling him Edwina and Eddie Crocker. And because they are trying to downplay the fact that he enjoyed this so much and everybody's ribbing him for it, um, you lose the fact that he actually made something good. And I think if they had him prepare like a more intricate dish, like if they had him make a lasagna or something that we as the audience can easily identify as being sort of difficult to pull off, but wow, he did. And he's actually talented. It would have made a lot more sense, but instead it's let's go for the sight gag. And then we're going to rip Eddie apart because he cooked something. And, And again, this is where it loses me even further because yes, this is about breaking down the gender stereotypes, but you're trying to build to that so much that the brothers are and the dad in this scene are far too over the top they take it way way too far and it's just so hard to relate to nowadays because kids are so much more well-rounded and this is where I you know I just don't get the hype of high school musical because you are not giving credit to kids for being multifaceted. And it's just the idea that a kid can only do one thing and have one hobby. And if they, that's what they're known for. And if they step outside of that, everyone's going to judge them. And that is the whole point of this story is how, you know, Eddie wants to pursue this thing, but he's being judged for it. And, you know, he can't feel that he can just do something that he enjoys out in the open. And he's got to, you know, he's, got to keep it to himself so to make my point and be concise about it it should not be so impressive that a kid this age made dinner nor should it be such a big deal that eddie enjoyed doing it but they are just so heavy-handed here let me respond there's a couple of things here first being that someone being pigeonholed into the this is the one thing that you do and that's your one hobby and this is your that's called high school yeah so I don't think that that's a trope. I think that that's everyday life. I think that that's just called high school, whether you agree with it or not. And if you swear that your high school wasn't like that, you're either lying or you are the most enlightened high school of all time. 
you're lying. The other thing is that I think the problem with Eddie having made this meal is that, as you pointed out, his friends are identifying things with no cooking experience, without labels. They just know what they are. We've never seen Eddie have an interest in cooking. Right. We have seen Eddie have an interest in throwing a bunch of crap onto a hot dog yes. that somebody else made. That's that's not an interest in cooking. Right. That's what I I said earlier. Right. So you've rushed into this idea. Now, on the one hand, do we need like do we need that to be fleshed out an awful lot? No. It's a decom. It's 90 minutes not including commercial breaks. Get in, get out, get to the point. I don't think you need to see that much of it, but they do rush into it. In regards to his father and his brothers being really heavy-handed with the insults, I think that's done intentionally to make you cringe. Like like you said, they're trying to do everything they can to change gender stereotype in this movie. I actually think they do a really good job of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, better than most movies, actually. Um, but it's in, they're doing it intentionally to make you uncomfortable because, quite honestly, the target audience for this movie is probably not the type of audience that isn't going to join in on the joke with the dads and the brothers. Fair. If I was 10 or 12 years old... And I had a friend that was a really good baseball player and decides I want to make cupcakes instead. I'm not going to lie to you. I would have given him a hard time about it. And if I'm watching a movie where I'm 10 or 12 years old and I'm watching a kid that's a really good baseball player decide I'm going to like make souffle now. You know, I'm not going to at all connect with that character but everybody can connect with a character being picked on. That's why they do it that way. That's an excellent point, especially because I am watching this for the first time as an adult. It's not like we grew up on it. So I'm watching it through the lens of what's so wrong about this kid being well-rounded and especially looking at it now, like ladies want to find a guy that can cook. I appreciate a guy that can cook. This You're is welcome. not a bad quality to have. Honestly, I would starve if you didn't cook. Let's pick it up where he signs them up for home ec instead of computer science. I actually thought the clipboard swap was kind of clever. I loved it. I thought it was really, really smart. His friends, all they see is that they have to sign a sheet. It's in the middle of organized chaos as all of the kids are signing up for their electives. I love how he schemes. I love how he scams. And then he plays, his off, he plays it off as a mistake because of being stuck in the middle of that fray. And I kind of love how he drags his friends down with him. The only thing that sort of takes me out of it is that this is not how you sign up for your electives. Obviously, it's done before the school year even starts. I'm right. not going to be that critical about it. But it was sort of confusing watching it the first time through. I thought this was an extracurricular and not a class. But I don't think this wor would have worked as an extracurricular activity either. It wouldn't have. Because his friends could have just as easily bailed out of it. 
Right. And time wise, it would have worked as a good conflict to him being torn between do I go to baseball? Do I go to home ec? That's the only thing where it would have worked to the advantage because here he doesn't really have to make a choice until the cookoff itself. Right. But I love the setup for it. The the most unrealistic thing about everything, though, is the fact that um, no home ec classroom looked this good. This oh looks my like a professional gosh. Kitchen. No, that is like a chef's kitchen. What high school is this? I keep calling it high school. It's a junior high. That's the other thing. Junior high. Yeah. I mean, we took home ec in junior high. We did too, but not that kind of home ec. No, like you learned how to bake bread, you learned how to sew, and you learned how to do laundry. Yeah, I think that's how we did it. It was, I want to say it was two semesters. It wasn't just a quarter. And the first half was all the sewing, and then you got into, I mean, cooking, I use the term loosely. It was baking. It was a couple of things. It was bread and cookies. Right. If only they would bring home ec back. I think society would be better off for it. Seriously, basic cooking skills, sewing and balancing checkbooks. I know that has to do more with math, but like that is part of running a home. You got to be able to balance your budget. But with all of that being said, other than that, let's talk about a few of the other really unrealistic things here. Starting with Bridget. She is so extra, right? She brings her own her own knives with her like she's an executive chef and frankly like no one really busts her chops for being really into home ec i understand the joke of it is that everybody's going to make fun of the boy for wanting to do home ec including the other girls the other girls make fun of him too and snicker behind his back and so does bridget she she's taking this very seriously and she's like every semester this happens where a bunch of stupid boys didn't sign up for computer science class and now they're ruining her experience because this is something that she enjoys right totally extra and over the top nobody was that into home ec like not not at their age no one was truly into it that much and like you're trying to make an antagonist when like everybody else around him is an antagonist, whether they realize they are or not. So I don't really think that this character was all that necessary. I'm fine that she's super into it, but what I don't like is that her entire character gets negated at the end when the home ec teacher says that Bridget doesn't have the talent for it the way that Eddie does. And she has the passion, but just not the the effortlessness that Eddie does. And to me, it's like, who cares if she's so passionate about it? This isn't like a, something where you need like raw athletic talent. Like this is a skill that can be honed right. and she can eventually become very talented at it. So if the kid has passion, like why knock her down like that? What I wish they would have done to make her feel less like a pointless character, because I do agree with you there. I wish her and the Hannah character were merged because I think that they have Hannah on the baseball team to pad all of the horrible things that the father says um, to have the basically the female version of Eddie because 
she's into sports, but her mother is pushing her in a different direction. And I feel like it would have been more effective if that was all channeled through Bridget, because Hannah is always kind of supporting Eddie with a little wink and a nod. Like when he goes back for the cook off brochure, she sees him. That's a pointless scene because she doesn't do anything about it. She covers for him later on. And I feel like it would have been so much better if he had an ally in the cooking world that was sort of helping him through. I also don't understand why on day one, before these kids have even cooked a blessed thing, she's already handing out entry forms for this million dollar cook-off where you can get a college scholarship when you're like 12 or 13 years old. Right, and she has no idea... You know, she she hasn't even made an assessment yet of what their skill level is. But here you go. Here's a right at Eddie. She's looking right at Eddie like, come on. Like, had this happened a few days into class when she saw that he actually had talent that he was squandering, then it makes sense. But she's looking directly at him. The same person that two or three scenes later, she's going to say, I don't want boys in my class ever again. I think that this also has to do with they are trying to give her a character arc, which actually goes nowhere because later she talks about how she won this competition and like she's reliving her glory days through the kids. But again, trying to make it about her, it doesn't really make her an ally for Eddie because yes, she's encouraging him and eventually she's going to help him stand up to his parents. But at the same time, the beginning of her character introduction is all about how she did this and how she loves it. And it all it does is unify her with Bridget. And that's about it. It, it just doesn't make sense. I think that they were trying to, to make it more of a, a comedic element than it was. And it's just not funny that because she never gets fully wrapped in herself. If if they had taken it to that extreme where all she cares about is her students winning as a reflection of her, then it would have been funny because now you have a driving force, a driving force pushing Eddie as far as he can go for the wrong reasons. And it would have made it even deeper for his character to want to be in this for the right reasons. If you think about it, she's really just a softer version of Eddie's father. She's She is more encouraging in that it's go outside your comfort zone. But at the end of the day, she, especially when she goes to the house later on, and like in front of the parents is like, well, maybe you know your son. But maybe I do too. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, it's like, no, you're the you're the exact same. <clears throat> excuse me, you're the exact same thing. But it's just because you're not picking on him. We're supposed to buy you as the better person. She's she's going into their home, telling them how to parent their their own child. She would have been better as a full blown antagonist because you're there's just too much conflict with her or or too much not conflict conflict would have been good contradiction yes is is the issue because she really is trying to help bridget and coming from a genuine place because bridget's into this whereas with eddie she's trying to get him into it saying you have to be here you have to learn this stuff you have to learn the basics if you're going to compete but 
it's all about the competition and there's there's not enough there where she's trying to get Eddie to admit to himself that this is okay and this is what he's truly passionate about until too late in the movie. Correct. Um, let's move on to Eddie's first failure. It's that classic I don't put the lid on the blender scene. Before we even get to the blender, okay. my note in big capital letters, so many eggs why every time is he cooking all they do i mean i get it because it's it's giving him as an actor something to do by splitting eggs and it's not something that's true too intricate and it's easy to shoot all this kid does in this film is crack eggs and that's where the film is the most dated because now that a dozen eggs is like six bucks i if he were my kid he'd be doing extra chores so that he could go out and replace those eggs Short, this is where, as a parent, I would be like, I don't care where your passions lie. You're getting a job to fund this passion. Yeah, no retirement fund for you. You need to replace my eggs. Yeah, it's food trope. Crack eggs. Don't know how to do it. Make a mess. Can't put the lid on the blender. Here's what I don't understand. How nobody heard yes. all of this. And I know that he literally says to the dog about his brother, wow, he's dumber than he looks. But the, the the room is literally dripping goo from the ceiling. There is crap all over the counter. And his brother just finds a half-eaten sandwich covered in goo and picks it up and starts eating it and walks away with a sticky, runny plate and thinks nothing of it. I, I, I know that the, the joke was that he's dumb, but we know that he's dumb. Like, his brothers here are almost the same brothers that we saw in blank check hand and foot incorporated like they're they're basically the same thing they're foils they're antagonists they pick on their little brother little brother shows them up been there done that we've already seen it with macintosh right like they didn't have to sell the fact that this guy's an idiot yeah i i feel like these are probably the worst older brothers of all time they're pretty bad not not just because they're mean, but just in the sense of like, yeah, they, they are completely there as plot devices and not even plot devices. This is, I think, supposed to play for comedy or I guess it gives him the idea for the PB&J shake because the goop got on the sandwich. Right. But I I still I mean, that that was my biggest takeaway from the scene is how did nobody hear you? Nobody notices all these groceries are disappearing. The dog is now covered in goop. Yep. And. Did, did Eddie clean this up? I mean, I'm guessing he didn't leave this for his mom to find in the morning. Right. What takes me out of this even more is the next scene that we get with his dad, um, where we're back on the baseball field. And I really think the entire purpose of the scene was just to get the line in. Stop playing with your food. You're dancing around like a girl. You really needed to give the dad another like a girl line. Are you kidding me? Um, and then he asks Eddie if he signed up for computer science class like his brothers told him to today. So I think this scene was supposed to come after the first home at class before he makes the peanut butter and jelly shake. And I feel like that would have played so much better because... You have the home at class. Now, Eddie's 
put down again, but he's still feeling inspired. He still wants to do this. And it it just would have paced it out better as far as seeing like this is clearly bothering him and he really does want to pursue this, that he's up in the middle of the night. And instead it it comes after the fact. And I feel like it just kills the pacing because now you're you're back in Homek after this conversation with dad and his friends are putting him down again. So I feel like it, they could have struck a better balance of like insult scene. Eddie's going to do it anyway. And it just would have felt a little bit smoother. Whereas here, I, I mean, the most glaring error is that he says today. Th- that's a huge continuity issue. And you could have very easily, if you bothered to move the scenes around after you shot it, you could have very easily just cut the word out. I think so as well. But I will... St- I think from from this point moving forward, I actually have a note that I think the pacing, especially with the dad, it's actually quite good. When you start to see that Eddie is having an issue balancing everything, and for no pun intended, keeping all the plates spinning, that cut against his father recognizing that there is a distraction. I think that they do a good job of moving through the timeline here because we're kind of led to believe that this is going to be an entire quarter of school, right? Because in school, you don't... Junior high, you have quarters. You don't have semesters, right? Right. So you kind of get through the whole quarter here because you get through the entire baseball season, plus you get through more or less an entire course here, and you're starting to see where things are getting out of control. I actually think it was a very good way to show a passage of time without it dragging out, without a lot of meaningless scenes, because as it is with the brothers, you've got two completely useless, meaningless characters. You can do without them. Anytime they're on screen, anything that involves them, you don't need. You have enough antagonists between his father and his classmates that laugh at him. These two brothers, you don't need them here. So I think that this is where they kind of trim the fat, and I actually think this is one of the stronger points in the film. No, and I also think the that they may have reversed those scenes because they didn't want to go from peanut butter and jelly shake to food fight because now we're going to get our first food fight in yes. the home ec class. Our first one. You know, and this home ec teacher that loves cooking so much, she's okay standing by and ducking behind a counter while they completely waste food. Yeah, well, it's because, like, it, this is meant for 12-year-old boys. That's what this movie is meant for. So I understand the comedy that they're trying to pull off here. The problem is that this this teacher swears that she's got so much control over the class, swears that she is such an inspiration, swears that she's going to get the most out, and she has no control at all. She has no control over any of these characters. None over Eddie, none over Bridget, none over anybody. Until she decides she's going to sit in their living room and tell them that she knows the son better than his own parents. (laughs) What I do like, though, is after the food fight, you get Eddie, Frankie, DB, and Hannah cleaning up. And they talk about the history of food fight. Like, this was better than the time we in second grade and and this food fight. And and there was like four or five that they mentioned. So I like that there's that history there. But I would have liked to learn more about their friendship a little bit through this conversation. And, you know, maybe that's always been a little bit of a thing where, like, 
they've had these food fights, but like Eddie's been the one to break it up because he doesn't want to waste the food or he wants to do something constructive with it or, or just something because, you know, we both made the point of saying already that Eddie making these Eddie dogs is just not enough to show that the love of cooking has always been there. And I feel like this would have been a good place to insert it. For sure. This is where now you start to see that Eddie, he's starting to excel in everything. He's starting to get his mind back into baseball, and he's starting to get more and more polished with the cooking. This is where you really start to love the character, because up until this point, I will say that I didn't really care for the character that much, because it's just like, we know what's going to happen. We know you're going to pick cooking over baseball, because that's the point of the movie, is for you to not do what everybody tells you that you're going to do. And it would have been easy just to see him excel in cooking and fail at baseball, but it means so much to him to keep the ruse up right? that because he starts to excel in both, it says a lot about him as a character. It does, and it works for the character, but I feel like it starts to fail the film because he is still bailing out his baseball team. What I would have really liked to see is that as he excels in cooking, baseball starts to fall apart, which they do a little bit later on. But I wish it would have started to slip now so that the team has to step up in Eddie's absence. And now they're starting to have their arc of, you know, our best players not here, but we we still want to win. Like we have to figure this out without him. Yeah, I think what they do instead here, as opposed to focusing on the baseball starting to slip, they they start making more and more conflict with DB. Right, and because they have the purple sauce out in the dugout. Yeah. I think that you needed... I don't think you really needed him to have any more conflict with his friends. I understand why they did it. And Frankie is a far better support system than DB. But I'm just going to put this out here right now. DB stinks as a baseball player. He's horrific, actually. And he's the worst friend of all time. Like, he's insufferable. Like, the dad is insufferable yeah. in the right ways. DB is just a completely dislikable character. Although I do like the balance they struck with Frankie wanting to be supportive, but DB is always shutting him down. Yes, it like it makes sense that they would do it that way, but I, I'm just saying I don't I don't even think the character DB is all that necessary. I'm going to put a pin in that and circle circle back to it later because I do sort of have a theory. What is developing, though, is this friendship with Hannah because this is the scene where she covers for him. Um, I mentioned the purple sauce. That, yeah. that was... This is the other thing, though. It, it kind of stumbles over itself because the purple sauce was a result of this food fight. Everything landed in a bowl and they were like, huh, that's pretty good. And this is what Eddie decides to make as his entry for the cook-off. Um, but he realizes you need to list out the ingredients and you need to recreate it. So he does that and he has it on him at the baseball game. Why? But 
this is more this is worse than kidding King Arthur's court as far as useless stuff in a backpack at a baseball game. But yeah. um, the some other kid takes it out of his bag and starts eating it. And Hannah recognizes what it is and what he's done. So she covers for him. And that's where, like I said, the Hannah character is not use, useless, but like it would have been better if she was blended with Bridget. And it would have been nice if they leaned into this a little bit more we know at this point that Hannah's mother doesn't support her playing sports, or at least we think, because that's what Hannah has told us. It just would have been nice to see if you eliminated DB altogether and Frankie was the naysayer, you could have had Frankie as the devil on Eddie's shoulder and Hannah as the angel, and that would have created a much better balance. Yeah, I agree. Um. Now he starts to, this is being Eddie, starts to fall apart a little bit. And he wants to start giving up on the home ec stuff because he's just getting laughed at at school all of the time. The boys are laughing at him. The girls are laughing at him. The teachers are laughing at him. Everybody's laughing at Eddie. I got news for you. Nobody cares if you're good at home ec or not. No one cares enough to laugh at you. No one cares enough to make a morning announcement about it. I understand that they're trying to make a sympathetic situation. And they're trying to do like the gender reversal thing as you've talked about before. I think that it kind of falls on its face though when the girls are also laughing at Eddie. And it's not just his dad and the other boys. Well, I think this is, again, the heavy handedness of this film to set something up because now you have the cafeteria food fight, which really a second food fight. But you kind of really needed to push Eddie to the brink to make him react because, again, he loves food. So why is he going to start hurling it at people? You you had to get him like that mad. Yeah. And then from there. He has this falling out with his dad. His father benches him because he's late to a game. Actually, that I'm completely on board with. I have no problem that his father decided to make him the example and give somebody else an opportunity to play. Yes, but I feel like it's also too little too late for dad to start being a coach and not showing this blatant favoritism towards Eddie. But he's because he's punishing him. Yeah. And it's it still does fall back to Eddie no matter what. He's not doing this for the good of the team. He's doing it to to show Eddie, like, you know, you need to be here. I'm not going to take your home ec seriously, but, like, if you're going to make this choice, I'm going to punish you for it. Right. If you're not going to take baseball seriously, you're not going to play. I, I agree with Dad. No, I agree with Dad, too, but I feel like it's... they. It might be the writing. It might be the actor and the way that this is performed, it just seems like he's coming down on Eddie because them's the rules, not because he's being petulant. How do you feel about, because now this is just montage, 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 montage. Yeah. Cooking more eggs and baseball. They, the groundhogs win enough games where, they're going to play this playoff game against the Eagles. They go back to Eddie's house to celebrate. The whole team's there. And Mrs. Hadley shows up to start 
like inserting her wisdom and her ideology and her mindset on Eddie's really it's Eddie's father because Eddie's mom has known the whole time what's going on and she's encouraged him to do it. There's something about this scene that just doesn't work. Yeah, I I think it's that she does not need a redemption arc. She should have either been Eddie's antagonist, like we said before, or she just should have been straight encouraging him from the beginning, not just in the sense of teaching him how to cook, because that was really self-serving for her because she wants you know, to be recognized. And she even says as much. There is a line where she's like, oh, they're going to be so happy to see one of my students winning the competition with things that I taught. She's making this all about herself. Had they leaned into that, it would have been fine. But you have to do one or the other. Either make her the antagonist or have her support Eddie and make the bigger lesson not be about cooking, be about standing up for himself. And then you wouldn't have needed her to come to the house. He would have done it on his own. Here, it's been too much of column A, too much of column B with these two traits of the home ec teacher. And it just comes off as confusing. It also would have served better. We know that she's trying to encourage him and that you shouldn't just do what your father wants, Eddie, although it's none of her business. If she would have had this heart-to-heart with him in the classroom by themselves, no Bridget, no Hannah, no nobody, after she watches him get picked on, I think then it makes sense. To go to the house, interrupt the party, pull them away, which, like, not only is it inappropriate that she would go to the house and then tell the parents that I know your son better than you do, which is basically what she says, but... She is very aware that people are picking on him. She is very aware that he's having a tough time with this. You think the answer to that question is to just show up at the house unannounced in front of all of his all of his teammates? Right. And pull them away so that you can get your way? I and they're hiding behind this she's an encouragement. That's the thing. They wrote a bad mentor character as the mentor character, you are supposed to be giving the main character, the tools that they need to overcome their obstacle. And again, she does it with the fundamentals of cooking, but that should have been secondary. That should have been the metaphor for Eddie learning to have confidence in himself so that he could stand up to his parents on his own instead of having that being handheld and spelled out by the teacher visit. Yeah. But with that said, now we move on to, as we said earlier, naturally the same day as the ball game is also the day of the competition. Whoa, I can't believe it. And wouldn't you know, That by sure happenstance, this million-dollar national competition just happens to be held at the same school where Eddie's playing his baseball game. Of course. What? I mean, I'll buy it because they have a state-of-the-art home ec class, so why not have a whole television studio there? But... Yeah, it it really doesn't work 
it, it, it makes absolutely zero sense, but they needed it to be like that because of the frequency with which people are coming and going from the competition to the baseball diamond, um, which is an issue I have in and of itself with Eddie. Why did you make him go, you know, he, he goes to the competition fully dressed in his baseball uniform. He meets Bobby Flay and Eddie's reputation has preceded him because Bobby knows who he is. And he, oh, Eddie Ogden's here. And he, oh, I'm not staying. I had a baseball game. Meanwhile, they have his name on a placard above his cooking station. Right. But yeah, you're you're not you're not in this competition. Um, so I think they were supposed to have a bigger moment with Bobby Flay where he's still trying where he tries to like instill some sort of advice. Uh, of the the follow your heart advice basically right and they he kind of does because of all the eggs that we've cracked in this film eddie asks bobby flay how do i crack an egg with one hand and bobby says stick around and i'll show you there should have been more of a heart to heart there of why eddie that's the thing if it wasn't going to come from the home ec teacher it should have come from bobby flay of you know when i was a kid i got picked on because i like to cook and look at me now there you go. That was all you needed. And then Eddie could have gone to the game, said, no, you know what? Th- there's something I really want to do for me. And it would have made sense. But you bothered to have him go to the competition. I just wanted to see what it looked like. Why? Why? It would have been so much more effective if Bobby was not going to give him a piece of advice to have him just go to the game and have it like nagging at him it's like going to your ex's wedding just to see how they look in the dress or the tux it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense at all exactly but the the triumph of this scene is that dad gets what's coming to him we we talked about it earlier yes how come when i throw like a girl it's an insult but when i run like a guy it's a compliment kimberly oh i wrote her name down so i would remember it it's kimberly but even she goes, yeah, I stink. I'm not that good, but I'm trying. You know, like she calls herself out on it. And she just does what we knew somebody had to do the whole time. I said it earlier, right, wrong or indifferent. You can look at it a thousand different ways. The insult of you throw like a girl, you run like a girl was something that in baseball amongst guys, especially when I played in the early 90s was common form because we didn't have girls on our team when we got girls on our team the parents had the sense to stop doing it because they knew it hurt somebody like it it's almost ridiculous that this went on for as long as it did because when he says it the first time you go ooh that's the thing had it been nothing but guys on the team no one would care that he said it right People care because he's got two girls on the team and you're kind of left scratching your head like, why would he say that when you have girls on the team? But it happens so often. Like, dad does enough. Being a father that does not encourage your child is enough to make him an antagonist. This constant, like, like a girl, like a girl, like, and you said it before, how many lines does he need? The, The triumph here is that somebody finally calls him out on it. Yes, because even when he has the baseball team over at the house, this is the entire team now, not just Frankie and DB. When the home ec teacher comes to visit, he's talking to, um, I think it's the assistant coach or, or 
whoever. He has been at all of the baseball games. Um, and and he's like making fun of male nurses. Again. Yeah, it's just so stupid. So heavy handed and totally unnecessary. But this is where it all gets redeemed because he does get called on it. However, I wish it had come from Hannah because she's taken the bulk of the insults from him. The problem with it coming from Hannah, though, is Hannah's actually a good ball player. She's better than DB. So you you needed it to come from one of the weaker players on the team. True. And Hannah is also going to have her moment where she stands up to her own mother. So she honestly, Hannah probably has the most full arc out of anyone in this film. What I don't like. And again, this might have been I'm not sure if it's the writing. I'm not sure if it's the delivery of the line. They say to Eddie, like, you're always the one bailing us out. Give us a chance for once when he decides that he is going to go to the cook-off. And I feel like there's a couple of different ways they could have played it. They could have realized that his baseball playing is suffering so much because his heart is not in it. They decided to rally around him, be encouraging and say, you know what? We got this. You've been slipping so much. We've actually been improving. And now we want to we want to put ourselves to the test and see what we can really do without you. So you go and, and encourage him that way. Instead, it comes off as like slightly sarcastic. And if it was going to be sarcastic from anybody, it should have come from DB to let Eddie off the hook because DB for for his just awful straight awful as he's been he does need the moment of redemption more than anyone else to show eddie that no i'm still gonna be your friend and i'm going to support you i'm gonna be a true friend to you now yeah and he never really has that he only cares after they win their ball game Right. And that's what I'm saying. He should have been the one. He should have been the deciding factor where it's like, all right, you're not going to hear about this from me. If you if cooking is your passion, then you go. So now the other thing that completely takes me out of it is that they have a TV in the box, which they did cover with a throwaway throwaway line that uh, Frankie likes watching the Yankees. So that's why they have it there. To me, it would have been more effective if Eddie had brought the TV to watch the cooking. Com- Instead of going to the competition just to see it and then going to the baseball game and deciding that he really wants to cook, they should have had him with the TV completely distracted watching the competition going on without him this entire time. I feel like they overcomplicated this, but they're watching, they're rooting him along and they're like, gee, Eddie needs help. I feel like instead of just the dad going, it should have been the whole team rallying around him. And it also would have been more effective for the fact that he's so far behind. Like he needs numbers at this point. Yeah, but I think they he's only allowed one person to help him. No, Bridget had like three sous sous chefs there. I think it would have just been too much. And the other thing is you need them to have a victory. Them learning to win on their own without Eddie is their victory. So you needed them to win. It was, but again, that whole thing, it it just wasn't set up correctly. No. Dad getting himself thrown out of the game, arguing with the umpire over calls that are in his favor just so that he can go help Eddie. It's funny that he's getting himself thrown out of a game intentionally, but he could have just left. Right, because you've done nothing to show that you care for these kids (laughs) 
at all other than have a barbecue at your house. So nobody's going to be surprised that you're going off to, to back Eddie up. Right. Now they're all at the competition. At least Eddie and his father, his mother, and Mrs. Hadley are, right? And you get kind of a, a twist on the ending where Eddie doesn't win. Bridget wins. And the actor who plays Eddie, and we're going to talk about the cast in just a moment, he's really good. He is. His, the heartbreak when he doesn't win the competition, he's really, really good. But what did he win, Sean? He the support won. of his brothers who came through to cheer him on. Yes, the cheese factor. Honestly, that is the entire reason for this scene that these brothers were written into this movie. That and a couple of Eddie Crocker jokes. Yeah, and Eddie Eddie holding the trophy and Bobby Flay calling out, oh, look at him over there. Look, he's got all his friends. He's got a trophy. Looks like a winner to me. Yeah. That's, that's what that whole scene was about. Before we talk about the cast, I want to touch on the soundtrack because this soundtrack, there, there's not a lot as far as the score goes, but the soundtrack has a lot of bangers. I remember you and I were both watching this completely taken aback when Centerfield started playing over one of the baseball games, over one of the montages. And I was like, they must have blown the entire budget on Bobby Flay and a John Fogarty song. Those songs are not cheap to get. No. They're really not. I was stunned. But like of all the baseball films that we just watched, none of them had this song, but we get it in the decom. It's noteworthy. All right, let's talk about the cast here, starting with Taylor Ball, who plays Eddie Ogden. Um, I thought Taylor Ball was great. I think that the character at times is frustrating, but he's a likable character, but I love how he played him. I love the heart that he gave him. I love when you needed drama, when you needed some like real emotion, you got it out of Taylor Ball. I agree 100%. He truly carried this film with a depth that I was not expecting to see in a decom. Let me ask you this about the character though, because I have seen some discourse online and it sort of does. It, it's something that I had thought about while watching this. And I was wondering if it was, you know, like we were just unfamiliar with the film and it was common knowledge that this was what it was supposed to be and, and we just weren't aware. Um, do you think that cooking was a metaphor for Eddie being closeted? No. I think it's just a film about a kid that likes to cook. Really? Yeah. I don't. The way that DB is written and the way that he is just so angry at Eddie all of the time and completely unsupportive and seeming to take it personally for no reason at all. And the way that the dad and the brothers lay it on so thick, I couldn't help but wonder if this was Disney trying to write to a kid struggling with coming out and trying to make it as relatable as possible without actually doing a film about that because they didn't have the guts to at the time. I th I think that we might, if they were to do something like this now, I think it would totally work. And I think that they, sh I absolutely 
don't think that they should be afraid to do it. But I was wondering if this was sort of their way at the time of introducing that idea. No, I think this was their way of trying to hook 12-year-old boys to watch the Disney Channel with food fights and baseball. Okay. That's what I think. Uh, let's talk about DB, played by Riley McClendon. This is a useless character. He's rude. He's obnoxious. He's one of many antagonists, but he doesn't have a big enough platform to give this kid a problem. If if DB, if it would have been Eddie and DB were the two best players on the team, Eddie far exceeded DB, but DB couldn't do it on his own, and he carried an animosity because all they wanted to do was win. You know, like you've seen in every sports film, it would make sense. This kid shouldn't be playing above T-ball. He's an awful baseball player. So of all of the people, in fact, he's probably the worst player on the team. So of all of them, he's the one that should be the less anno- the least annoyed with Eddie. I mean, I can understand why he's taking it out on him because he wants to win. But you're not good enough where you have a stake in this anyway. There is absolutely nothing redeeming about DB. I mean, kudos to the way that he's written as far as being rude and awful, because that was a success. But you needed something to show that he supported Eddie going to this cook-off and you never get it until the very end. So it's like after Eddie is in everyone else's good graces, then DB will jump on the bandwagon and be supportive, but he won't just support his friend for the sake of being a good friend. Yeah, Awful. Let's, let's talk Awful. about a friend that's a better friend. Orlando Brown plays Frankie. I like this character. I like that he does encourage um, Eddie. But I like that he's kind of stuck in the middle where he's trying to stand up for Eddie. He's trying to encourage Eddie, but he's also getting pulled by DB and he's getting pulled by some other people on the team. But he's still a likable character nonetheless. He is one of the most relatable characters in the film as far as wanting to support something. But you also don't want to get the target switched on to you and be the one who becomes made fun of just because you stood up for the right thing. Um, and Orlando Brown is just fantastic. I think out of this entire cast, he probably had the most experience because he was on That's So Raven. And I mean, I recognized him from like every Disney Channel slash Full House slash, you yeah. know, I mean, he was in everything. Um, and I wish he would have had more screen time because he was a scene stealer. He's just got so much charisma. Rose McIver plays Hannah. I like this character. I like that she is kind of, she's very much a still waters run deep. I like that she backs Eddie. I like that she covers for Eddie. And I like that she's sort of going through the same thing that Eddie's going through because her mother doesn't know she's playing baseball. Her mother thinks she's going to cheerleading practice every day. And she wants to hide the fact that she's playing baseball with the boys instead of doing the cheerleading with the girls. I think that that's a very good parallel, and I like that they attacked that in this film as well. I agree, and I like that, you know, she does have the moment with her mom where her mom says what we really needed from Eddie's dad of, you know, I, I'm not mad that you didn't, I'm not mad that you're playing baseball, I'm mad that you felt you couldn't tell me. So I'm glad that we get that somewhere. Um, and this is another actress that just has a depth beyond her years. Kylie Layden plays Bridget. This to me is a 
borderline useless character. She's dislikable because she's obnoxious. I understand that you needed somebody there that was really good, but not really. Really good, but not willing to learn. And that is supposed to show that Eddie is special because Eddie has the capability of learning. And you need somebody that ultimately wins this competition at the end because it's not going to be Eddie. But I feel like it could have been anybody. And they could have done a little bit more to make her less dislikable. I mean, I don't think that she was obnoxious. I just think that she was a perfectionist. But I feel like... Again, you could have merged her with Hannah, but I feel like they could have given her a softness where if the home ec teacher had been the antagonist and Eddie wasn't really learning what he needed from her and it was just one more person standing in his way, it would have been nice if Bridget stepped in and she was like, you know what, I'm going to show you the techniques. You're going to be my biggest competition, but like if you're that good, then beat me. If she had given him those tools and, and he was able to take it and run with it. Um so I don't think that she was necessarily dislikable until her last line yes, yes. at the end. I feel like Eddie has grown enough and he's been through enough where he was not included, where he should have just invited her along anyway. But instead, she has to spell it out and be like, what about me? And then we could have stopped there. But we get, I'm hungry, too. Shirley Temple was an incredible little actress. But she did what she did, and it worked for her. She was also like six. Yeah, that's the other. I'm hungry, too. She's, yeah. All right. Pout and stamp foot. Yeah. Let's move on. Mark L. Taylor plays Hank Ogden. Here's the thing. I think he did a really good job playing a really dislikable character. My issue's not with Mark Taylor. We've seen him in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. We saw him in High School Musical 2. His issue is not him. The issue is with the character. Yeah. But they wrote that character intentionally. Like, I said it before and I'll say it again. My big issue with the character is that he's a one-trick pony with one line that's made to feel you that it's out there to make you feel uncomfortable. It's out there to have you acknowledge that he's saying something rude to and about the girls that are playing on the team, but it shouldn't have gone on for as long as it did. So if it shouldn't have gone on for as long as it did, it probably didn't need to be there to begin with. Yep. And you could have still made him an antagonist without going out of the way to make it uncomfortable. Like the whole, you do this like a girl you didn't need to do that to make him a bigger enemy. Him not supporting his kid was enough. Yeah, you just hit it exactly on the head. It just should have been about his relationship with Eddie, and you could have done that without making him a total misogynist. It's weak screenwriting yeah. is what it is. Because you leaned on it like it was a crutch. Yes. All right, uh... Nancy uh, Lenahan plays Mrs. Hadley. You can whip and flambe till the cows <laughs> come home. That's very good. 101, 101, 101. This, this character does nothing. No, and I mean I don't I don't want to be repetitive. I've said a million ways what the alternatives are. I think you just it was 
too much uh, contradiction. You just needed to pick one or the other with her. Yeah. And when she's not contradicting herself, she's completely cliched. Yes. All right. Uh, final thoughts on Eddie's million dollar cook off. I'll go first. Um, it's got decom cheese, but in all the all of the ways that you kind of like enjoy decom cheese, um, it's an innocent enough movie. Um, I think that some of the screenwriting is weak. I think some of it is good, but I think its successes come from the actors on screen more than the screenplay itself. Mm-hmm. I think at the root of this, you had a. I think you had the base for something very good. I think you had the base for something that was relatable when it comes to maybe you, maybe you are one of those kids that's afraid to step out of their comfort zone. I think that that's something that everybody can relate to. I think being bullied is something everybody can relate to. I just think that making this about cooking may have been the wrong way to go about it because I'll die on the hill that nobody cared how good you were at home ec. Had he done something, had he, high, uh, high School Musical does it really well. Yes. Right? Where you have the jock that's also singing. So, and this came out before High School Musical. Right. You could have done the jock who's dancing. You could have done the jock who's, I don't know, babysitting. You could have done anything. Leaning on cooking, I think, was a bit of a weak point. I think that all of the makings of something great were there, but for a lot of reasons, I think you just turned out with something that's good. I, I think in terms of decoms, it's middle of the road. It's not as good as Teen Beach. It's not as good as High School Musical. I don't think it's as good as Halloween Town or Don't Look Under the Bed. I think it falls in the category right after that, where... It's not a really good decom, but it's not a really horrific decom either. It's somewhere that just floats in the middle. I agree with absolutely everything you said, except for the way that you enjoy decom cheese, because you enjoy decom cheese a lot differently than I don't enjoy <laughs> decom cheese. Um but no, otherwise, I couldn't agree more. Is it the worst decom we've ever seen? No, certainly not. But I think that the problems that it's riddled with come down to the screenwriting and just a lot of contradicting itself. Um, I definitely agree, too, that had they picked something other than cooking. I mean, that's it. Cooking is a life skill. You need it. So that's where the whole thing kind of falls apart to begin with. But yes, if they had picked a different activity, I think it could have been more effective. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed it for what it is. I don't think it's great. Um but if it is, in fact, a metaphor for Eddie coming out, then I think they knocked it out of the park, and I'd love to see more like it. We uh, want to know what you have to say about Eddie's million-dollar cook-off. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my 
perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney, and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I -Z at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monoreal news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news, but before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show, get a 10% discount with the code monoreal10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's services and all of her products. It's online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. And you're going to hear from Kelly herself next week yes. on our next review. Yes. So Kelly is coming back. Pat is coming as well. More on that next week, though. We're just going to tease it right there. Um, Let's talk about the uh, biggest piece of Disney news this week. Uh, Actually, we got two pieces of Disney news. Um... Disney is now 0 for 2 with fire-breathing dragon. <laughs> um, the Maleficent dragon at Fantasmic in Disneyland caught fire. They are now in a plan B where they have a different dragon, obviously. Um, but I don't know what it is about the design of this dragon, but this is now twice that you've had a dragon catch fire. Honestly, I mean, I'm just glad that it wasn't a safety issue and no one got hurt because I could not stop watching these videos. It looked like a ritualistic sacrifice and it was hilarious. My favorite one being <laughs> there was um, Sorcerer Mickey's out underneath Maleficent and he clearly needs to get under the stage and he's not going down yet. So he just like nods like, Yep, this is happening. But the full Mickey nod of this is happening right now. It's a dumpster fire. Get me down. Um, I will repost that on TikTok because you can repost videos. And I I just, I couldn't stop watching. It was the head nod for me. I give the friend of the character a lot, a of, lot credit of credit. Cause I a lot been, of credit. Because I would have been panicking. Yeah, because Calm, cool, and collected. They're clipped in to the back. So you don't like walk over the edge. Oh, I would have figured out a way out of it. <laughs> uh, Biggest piece of news this week, though. Walt Disney World annual passes went on sale again. They have been on sale for a week now. They were supposed to go on sale at 6 o'clock in the morning, but haha, it's Disney IT, so that didn't happen. Um, people waited five, six, seven hours. Seven was the most I had seen. There, It could be longer. Uh, I just, I gave up tracking it at that point. I was exhausted for them. 
but a lot of people, they cut off the sale of annual passes at 11 p.m., but at least they had the decency of saying, keep your browser open. You will not lose your spot in line. You will regain your spot in line when we resume tomorrow. There was a blurb on the on sale that said, just because you were in the queue does not mean that you will be able to purchase an annual pass. That caused a lot of panic. That caused a lot of people to wonder how many passes were for sale. Here we stand. A week later, I went on right before we turned the microphones on. Not only is there no wait, not only is there no virtual queue, every single level of annual pass is still available. So my question to you is, who is to blame for this mania? Who is to blame for these seven-hour waits? Is it people that just have to wait online for things? Because there's a culture of people who don't have better things to do with their time than to wait online just to say that they did, to buy things like popcorn buckets. How much of this is Disney's fault? How much of this is Disney creating panic and creating a new story? Good day, Orlando, down here in Central Florida. Mm -hmm. They were on. I had them on all day. And they had um, one of their field anchors on a laptop right outside the gates from the moment the broadcast went on air until the moment they wrapped up at 10 a.m. She had still not gotten off the virtual queue. So it's the best marketing known to man, right? It's a ton of great marketing. But has Disney bought into this idea of creating mania to get people to panic buy annual passes? Right. I mean, there's no such thing as bad press. I mean, I was kind of raising an eyebrow when I saw the warning of, you know, you still might not get one. Um, And there was a brief moment where I was like, are they going to cut them off again? I wasn't worried for us because I know when we have the option to renew, we can do the upgrade regardless. And that makes sense for them having a cutoff. If they have to leave enough so that everybody that has an existing annual pass can upgrade should they choose to. But to your point, I guess the question becomes, are you anticipating that many new buyers where you feel like you'll have to shut it down again? Or are you doing this to create hype or to play into the hype? Well, my guess is that what they, what they did was they got people to panic and buy their passes the day that they went on sale. If you were going to sell out with the amount of panic that there was, days of hours-longs waits, hours long, you would have sold out already. The fact that I can go and get any level of annual pass that I want, being a Florida resident, the fact that I can get anything that I want a week later tells me that you never intended on selling those passes out. Right. And what friends of I ours think? did the next day. I'm, I'm not going to say who it is, but they got they didn't want to deal with the wait the first day. And they go to Disney enough where they could justify the purchase of an annual pass. And the next morning they, they went on and got them. What do I think is going to happen? I think by Memorial Day, they shut them down again. I think they shut them down again because they're going into the six busiest months of the year for them. 
because by then you've got all the kids are out from school nationwide. So you get a lot of tourism. You get that little like six week lull after Labor Day, but then you get right before Thanksgiving, you crank until marathon weekend. Right. Then it slows down again. Do I think Disney's going to close the sale of passes? Yes, I do. But I think they're going to do it strategically so that they can crowd control in their six busiest months out of the year. But the other thing is, if you shut down the passes and people didn't get them now, when you jack up the price next year, all of those people that got shut out this year because they decided to wait, like we did last year, Mm -hmm. they're either going to get stuck buying the Pixie Dust Pass that they won't utilize nearly as much, or... They are going to be part of that seven-hour wait in 2024 when you open up the sale of annual passes again. Or do they cut off upgrading when you renew? Do you just get to renew as what you have because that's what they've accounted for? I think this is part of a much bigger conversation, though, that we are going to have in our next Dockside chat, which we're still a couple of weeks away from. But we've sort of been piecing things together and... It's raised a lot of questions, so we kind of decided that it was worth having a whole talk topic about it. Yeah, and we're going to need tequila to get through that conversation. For sure. But we want to know, did you buy your annual passes yet? Uh, How was the purchase process for you? Do you plan on buying them at all? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on all of that social media as well, and for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.